At Manor Farm, the animals feel mistreated and overworked. The animals have had enough of the miserable conditions and decide they need to take the lead and provide themselves a more comfortable life. We ain't gonna take it. With dignity. One animal rises to take the lead. His name, Napoleon. The book is Animal Farm, and you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get Hi readers, this is Alexis. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Drama. So how you doing, Kari? I'm good. You'd be very proud of me. Why? I left the house this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) If you're wondering why. Okay, so I have some friends here from out of town. So we like, you know, went hopping to different areas with them. Down Restaurant Road in Chicago, West Loop. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was great. It was fun. Uh, I mean, I was exhausted by the time that 10 o'clock came around, but I pushed myself. Like 10 p.m.? Yeah. Okay. You know, I should have been in bed for two hours by then. (laughs) But um, yeah, it was fun. I'm really tired today, but we had a good time. How was your week? What'd you do? Um, I am working on getting my schedule together. My schedule about life. I don't lead a scheduled life, so... Mm -hmm. Following a schedule is hard for me, but I've decided that I need a schedule to kind of move forward with things. Can I progress. tell you, um, said this is for as long as I've known you since I was seven, <laughs> yeah. but you're going to do it as long as you've known me. What <laughs> you've been um, trying to find a schedule for your life <laughs> This is going to make me cry. Oh, <laughs> well, that just proves to me what a challenge it is for me because I too. don't like it. it's it's really hard to do I don't feel comfortable doing it and I'm on month two and it's it's really hard yeah so what are you doing to be more structured share your wisdom I got this book that works in quarters okay and so in this book it it really you write out your daily rituals you write down a to-do list of things that must be accomplished and then at the top there's like the top three things that must you have to do that day and then do you get to check it off as you do it Mm -hmm. so I love that because then you feel like maybe I didn't do these 20 things but I did these three yes Mm -hmm. yeah and then at the end of the week as you begin to plan for the next week yeah you review the last week and see what you accomplished so that you can kind of praise yourself for saying I did do something do you like this book that you I do you want to tell us the name of it I can't think of the name of it. Oh, it's called Full Focus. Okay, Full Focus. Yeah. And, and you I, can just get that at like a bookstore? No, actually you buy or it did online. you like get it from the library? You've been making it. Ah, you got jokes. No, I it, I had to buy it online. It's okay, actually like focus. $40. Yeah, oh, it's for it's real. It's a great book. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I'm, I like it a lot. I like that idea mm-hmm. because some days I feel like I didn't do anything and I may have done a million things, but they... I can't see them in front of me. I can't see my accomplishments. I just see the holes um, that should have been filled with activity or with um, some tasks that should have been completed that's still hanging over my head. Do you write a to-do list? Um, At work, I kind of keep one. Mm -hmm. But you know how it is. You might have a large project that you want to put a big dent in that day. But then all of a sudden... You know, five people are throwing smaller tasks at you and that big project, the one you actually care about, 
doesn't get done. And then it feels you may have done 50 smaller things for other people, but But because you didn't didn't do that thing. Yeah. That made you feel like the whole day was wasted. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is so hard. It is. That is so hard. But I like to thank my friend Tori. She Mm -hmm. told me about it. Mm -hmm. About the notebook? About the um, planner. The planner. And yeah, it's it's really excellent. I just have to follow up with her and tell her that. But I want to follow up with her. Tell her to listen to the podcast and then she (laughs) know. Shoot. I want to tell her. I want to follow up and tell her when I really feel like I've accomplished something. Okay. So, well, but, it's only been yeah. two months, right? Mm-hmm. Well, a month and a half. So okay. we're getting there. We're getting there. So cool. why don't we move on? Okay. And jump into the theme of the week. Mm-hmm. As you know, readers, each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book that we're reading. This week, the theme is compliance and power of authority. Now, those are very common words, right? Mm-hmm. Um like I work in compliance for my oh, in my do. job. That's what yeah. you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That the state is forcing attorneys once they become licensed to comply with certain requirements. Mm-hmm. So we have to do that. And then the power of authority thing. When I think about that, I think about something granted to somebody. Like they mm-hmm. have been given power mm-hmm. or authority to run or rule something, mm-hmm. right? So um yeah. So, but it, it it means that there's a right to exercise that power. Power and control has been given to somebody and they have a right to exercise it. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So where does that come into play in our lives? Mm-hmm. The government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, in the, in the world today, we have to comply with, we have when to you're follow driving. laws. We mm-hmm. have to pay our taxes. We, yeah, for yep. sure. We have all of those things we have to uh, comply with. Well, this um, thing was so interesting to me because like you said, people are given power and that power can be given from an, a, a source that is socially accepted, mm-hmm. such as when the government delegates power to um, different governors or politicians. We all accept that and we follow that process in a way that ideally benefits society as a whole. There has to be order. But then there are situations where we can give power where it is not where it shouldn't be given like in a social structure maybe peer pressure where um, someone is pressuring you whether at work or school to do something that you consciously don't feel is appropriate or something about it rubs you the wrong way right but you've given them that power somehow and so you allow them to make the decision for you Hmm. do you know what I mean yeah so what's an example of where you would give somebody power maybe unknowingly I think about um, Weinstein or the Me Too movement where um, because now I will tell you, I have had meetings with um, bosses in hotel lobbies or even like large hotel suites. And that is not a, a weird thing in a For lot you. of. No, it is not. Sometimes I guess you, it depends you have on to get a meeting done. You have to get a meeting done. And um you can put your, you can give people trust based on their habitual interactions with you to the point where you are in a situation, maybe even a hotel lobby, no one else knows you're there, but you're with this person that you trust to a degree. And your focus is really on getting the task done. Okay. You're Mm -hmm. like, this is the last resort. If we don't do this today, 
then this is like another project hanging over my head and I need this done. So wherever you are, I'm coming to where you are, you are, and we are going to finish this. So that depends on the line of work you're in. Because that isn't maybe. But even in that case, you are trusting someone. I I'm going to apply it to myself. In that case, I am trusting someone who has not actually earned my trust. I just work with this person. I do not know them on a level on an intimate level. So I don't know what they're capable of. Mm -hmm. And in the Me Too movement, um, some victims were being blamed for putting themselves in situations where they're alone with people of authority, people that they've given authority in their mind, because sometimes they may not have even worked for uh, the person who was above them. It's a potential opportunity. And so they are, there's a give and take there. Maybe I'll give of my time and maybe sacrifice my own comfort to get this bigger thing. Mm-hmm. That don't mean I'm I'm willing to sacrifice my body. No, it doesn't. But you don't know that you're being set up. I I read, I should say that in Weinstein's case, he may have a decoy woman with him. Now, if I'm having a Ooh, meeting at a hotel so and you ask me to meet you and your assistant, in my mind, that's no problem. Right. And it's a female assistant. Right. I'm I'm there. I'm right. there. If I want this opportunity, I'm there. But what if we're in this hotel suite and we're sitting at a table? Now, this is not we're not sitting on a bed. This is not an overly comfortable situation. A lot of hotel suites it's have little gotta offices. Be one of the larger ones. Yes. Right. And that is so normal. That's what it's for. So you right. are sitting at Absolutely. a table with this man that you don't know who has this opportunity that you want and his assistant. And then he dismisses the assistant. And all of a sudden you're in the room with uh, someone who want, who with a predator. Just like that, you're in a room with a predator. That sounds horrible. That is an example to me of compliance and the power of authority. You complied with the suggestion to meet here. And this authority, unbeknownst to you, is trying to harm you in some way. That's how quickly things can change when you trust people. You know what I mean? But we have to trust people. We or or we we there's we an initial function. there's an an initial level of trust that we give to people. Right? Before we know anything Before about them. Before we know anything about them, yes. And the older you get, I don't know about you, but that little bank of trust dwindles. I don't know you. <laughs> you get pennies. I had a boss once and I thought this was a great analogy. I missed a flight. I was supposed to have a meeting in another country. And I missed the flight. It's Mm -hmm. a long story. It don't matter. So he had a meeting with me and he told me about the trust bank, which is an idea that everyone knows. Mm -hmm. There is a bank of trust that you are given. Yeah. And you can deduct from that or you can deposit into it. But it only has so much currency. Absolutely. So when we meet someone, you're right. We give them perhaps based There's on our initial, of our initial trust. vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we give them a little bit of currency yep. and you can deduct from that or you can give it. We might put ourselves in a position where we're overworked because we want to deduct from that bank later. So, you know, you got, you you want to take a little more vacation <laughs> than was due to you. <laughs> that is you a good analogy. Like, yeah, Saturday. Yeah. Six o'clock. Oh, I'm there. <laughs> that is a good analogy. I like that. Yeah. How are people given this power we just do it why do we do it yeah we just give people power over us so there is a um, show on a streaming channel um where the goal is to get someone to attempt murder <laughs> and oh, it starts i think uh, you told me about that subject. <laughs> yeah. 
It starts with convincing the subject to lie about food, to mark something that has meat in it as vegetarian. Okay. And then the subject doesn't know that everyone's in on the test, but they gradually are asked to do certain things that go against their conscience. And they do them because they want this job at the end. Okay. The last thing to do is push a man off of a roof. So it starts with marking food with meat in it as vegetarian. And the end result is murder. And out of four people, only one man did not commit murder. Wow. That is really deep. And when I tell you the suggestions at no point were these people tied legally or physically to the situation. They could all walk away. That is crazy. One woman who did push the man at the end off the roof says, um, well, I just feel like compliance is in my breeding. She was English. Oh, okay. English white. Um, And that, and, and then other people were like, well, this has taught me that I have to stand up for myself. These people just committed murder. (laughs) Murder. And then once they found out it was for a TV show and that everyone lived, the, the, the moral of the story in their minds was I got to stand up for myself. (laughs) Not I need therapy. I need to reevaluate my principles, the principles my life is based. No, I got to stand up for myself so I don't kill nobody. (laughs) That's really (laughs) deep. But it was a a slow chipping away Mm -hmm. um, that allowed them to eventually get to that point. Three people to push somebody off. Right. You know what it also makes me think of? It makes me think of um, military and mm-hmm. how they're compliant mm-hmm. because Do that first, is ask later. Yeah, that's what sure. the instruction is. So that's very interesting because if I'm asking you to carry out a mission and you got a million questions, we all going to die. Right. And so we don't really have time to kind of break it mm-hmm. down to you. I just need you to do what I say. And then I wanted to quickly talk about this um, book by Robert Benno Cialdini. Mm-hmm. He sounds Italian. He is, but he's from Milwaukee. Hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> and he wrote a book on um, persuasion and marketing and I'm okay. in marketing. So this was uh, pretty interesting to me. But um, the book's title is Influence, the Psychology of Persuasion. And in it, he discusses six principles of influence. One of them is authority. And that's the one I wanted to focus on. Um, He talks about people's tendency to comply with people in positions of authority. And this can include government leaders, teachers, and even doctors. Some people don't question their doctors because they feel like the doctor knows everything and I don't want to upset the doctor. A standard to not question people in the power or authority or with who you perceive to have more knowledge than you doctors work for you Mm. okay you are the person in the authority in that room okay people don't see it that way though yeah unfortunately yeah my grandmother was very big on that Mm -hmm. i tell you you don't tell me yeah you don't tell Mm -hmm. me you can tell me if that fits but i'm going to give you the final answer you can give me the options Mm -hmm. and thank you that is your job yep yep Okay, and so he states uh, this uh, Professor Cialdini. Oh, I'm sorry, I did not mention he's Professor um, Emeritus of Psychology and Marketing at Arizona State University. Okay. So there are his credentials. Anyway, um, we're first inclined to, he states, we're first inclined to make the easier decision rather than the accurate, more difficult one. So if there's an authority figure who can make the decision for us, we like Go ahead and make better to the gooder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But this can be a good thing. Children, don't touch the stove because it's hot. 
Right. They don't do it because they know it's hot. They do it because their parents tell them not to. Right. Um, and that can, you know, manifest itself in different ways mm-hmm. as adults. But so it can save us. But of course, it can be bad. Nazi Germany, Harvey Weinstein, for example, um, Me Too movement. It can be bad to just trust authority right. without question. And then you're familiar with the Milgram experiment where... Um, and it sounds familiar. Real quick. Okay. So um, one of the most famous studies of obedience in psychology was carried out by Stanley Milgram. And he wanted to test the theory that um, people who acted in cases of genocide, like in Nazi Germany, were really just following orders. That's what I was Can talking about when, it, when I was talking about compliance, because they what they said mm-hmm. was, this is what I was instructed to do. So I'm not at fault. Yes. So he took out an ad for volunteers to participate in a study at Yale. So anyway, the volunteer was called the teacher and the authority in the room uh, was them. Their partner, one of Milgram's insiders, was called the learner. The learner had to have fake electrodes attached to his body like an electric chair, Mm kind of. But anyway, um, and the person presiding over both of them, the teacher and the learner, was called the experimenter. So the experimenter brings in the teacher. The teacher is the volunteer, the Mm -hmm. only one who's not in on it and tells him for every wrong answer the learner gives. I need you to shock them a little bit as they answer more and more wrong answers. Increase the voltage. Oh, yes. I do remember this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We studied in the psychology. (laughs) Oh, did you? Yeah. So the the learner who's in on it is like faking pain, like screaming. Oh, please stop. You're going to kill me. I'm going to die. Some of them became unconscious or seemed to be unconscious as if they were dead. 65% of the teachers or volunteers continued to the highest level of 450 volts only because the experimenter would tell them you have no choice but to continue. That was it. What point do you say I do have a choice? You ain't got to be there. You don't have to be there. Do we continue to have this conversation every week? It seems that it comes back to you have a choice. choice. Yeah. You get to decide where you go from here. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's deep. You told me one time because I was telling this little girl to uh, hug hug someone. Mm -hmm. And you told me never tell children who they have to hug. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't. The the sentence was so simple, but yeah, why are you? T- why? Who do I think I am to tell a child who they ha- and it was innocent, mm-hmm. you know? They yeah. just had an attitude. Yeah, the, the kid did, and I'm like, no, you have to go around the room and say hi to everyone and hug everyone. <laughs> no, you don't. Hi is one thing, but hug too. Maybe you don't even have to say Yikes. hi. You know what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anymore. If you don't feel like it, don't do it. And I don't care what age you are. <laughs> I mean, say I don't even talk to people. No. Okay, well, no. Yeah. No. There is something to that. No. Well, that was good. Never I compromise. That. If a guy asks you to hug him, you don't feel like hugging. Don't do it. A girl, too. It don't matter. It don't matter. Hey, everybody. You ain't got to hug nobody. You don't. And that's the moral of this. You ain't got to hug. Hashtag, you ain't got to hug nobody. <laughs> And we're back. Woo! I don't Kari, know I did that. Yeah. Can you give us some context around the book and maybe a little bit about the author? Um, sure can. So George Orwell is the author, but wait, is he? Uh oh. Because his real name is Eric Arthur Blair. Yes. <gasps> I was like, 
George Orwell did not exist, which is great because Eric Arthur Blair is just too hard to say fast. <laughs> so why are we in a hurry to say it? George Orwell. That's easy. Okay. George, George Orwell. Yeah, that's easier. OK, so he was an English novelist, essayist, journalist and critic. Um, some things about him. He was a man who was not religious. However, he based his actions on his personal um, more views of morality okay. and principle. He was a very principle driven man. For example, he fought in the Spanish war. Yeah. Not because he was Spanish. Oh no, because he was born in like India. He was like a English Indian, right? Right. Like an English man born in India. Yep. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, he fought in the Spanish civil war because, uh, let's see if I can get this. He believed that Spain had a decent government. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So he very believes. <laughs> yeah. So he's very principled, willing to risk his life mm -hmm. for um, a system of uh, a society that he felt was mor morally correct. Yeah. Um, he attacked the Soviet Union and communism at a time when even in the West, uh, the ideas of Stalin's Soviet Union were being romanticized even right here in the States. Mm -hmm. So he wrote Animal Farm in 1943, but people weren't ready to think that um, dismally about, about socialism mm -hmm. just yet. Right. So his book was like hated. <laughs> Do you and remember? Started, I'm sorry. No, ahead. please. Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> you see how I'm, I'm milking this? I got like three sentences here. Do you remember um, what the original title of the book was mm -mm. the farm of animals no no <laughs> animal farm a fairy tale oh yes yeah because <clears throat> he wanted people to like read it <laughs> yeah right it's compared to voltaire's uh that book that he has that's like fantastical yeah candid something i can't remember Candide. <laughs> no that's it for real i think that's it but the way you said it i know yeah, right people can Ooh, see girl, your face culture? when you do that mm -hmm. Could my pinky was up. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but more, mm -hmm. he took that off because they wouldn't sell it. The U.S. took it off in order for it to be sold here because it needed to be more political. Or they why? needed to remove um, the they didn't like. Part. Yeah. The fairy tale. That's part of it. weird mm -hmm. because like the uh, movie remakes or the movie. Oh, there are yeah. Movies. And they're very like for kids. Oh. The ones I saw. And I thought that's not appropriate. Oh, because that's not well, what So then they're about. not talking about the actual, the allegory. They're talking about the actual animal farm. Yeah, but they are talking about the allegory. Oh, they it's are in the movies? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's very interesting. Yeah, don't look them up. Sorry, I even mentioned them. Okay. But anyway, you couldn't talk bad about the Soviet Union no. at one time in history because it made you look like a Nazi supporter. Mm. It's like one or the other, which actually manifests itself in the book. So um, people were like, who is this talking Ooh. bad about the Soviet Union? We hate you. But then later the Soviet Union came crashing. And even before that, I think the Animal Farm people started to get it. Right. And so, um, yeah, he was like, well, y'all like this political stuff because I'm going to keep writing about that. Yeah. And he wrote 1984 famously and a few others. OK. Well, that's and I've never cool. read any of them until now. I thought you read this book before. No, you didn't. You I thought did. I pretended to in one of one class at one time or another. Oh man, you are really fooling me with these books. What came before Spark Notes? <laughs> Cliff Notes. Cliff Notes. Oh, shout yeah. out to Cliff Notes. 
Got me to my graduation day. Wow. Wow. Oh, I, w- I did want to say that uh, in the Ukrainian version of Animal Farm, mm-hmm. he writes the foreword and he's yeah. a little more uh, fork. Uh, how do you say forthcoming in his motivations for the book? So he says things like um, the communist manhunts in Spain, which he narrow, which he narrowly escaped, coincided with the Moscow purges, which were basically right. Just a hunt for political enemies and mass killings. This is deep. And he wrote, that taught me how easily totalitarian propaganda can control the opinions of enlightened people in democratic countries. So you're chipping away at it little by little. Yeah. So he was was very socialist. Even though this book seems anti-socialist, that was not the point of it. It was just what what it's really to be anti or against is optimism. He hated <laughs> optimism. Stop thinking things going to be okay. Always think Don't about what can go wrong and expect it and then prepare yourself for it. He was very half empty. Oh. All the glasses was half empty, but that's okay because I brought my own milk. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. I came prepared. Yeah. Oh, that makes me think of a character in the book. <laughs> all right, then. That was a good one. I appreciate that. Glad it's over because that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, we only have a few minutes, okay? Yeah, we yes, got to yes. wrap this time up. We ain't going to be here for five hours like usual. No, we won't. Oh, so no. here, let's get a brief synopsis. But this time, don't have any spoilers <laughs> when you do the synopsis, okay? And I didn't prepare. I forgot we do this. Oh, okay. Here we go. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. <laughs> so here's um, a brief synopsis without spoilers of Animal Farm. Animal Farm is the story of animals on a farm. I love it. And they don't like the (laughs) farmer, the farmer. That's the guy. Yeah. So the farmer is bad to animals. Oh, this is not eloquent. And they form their. (laughs) (laughs) They like like animals are doing it for themselves yeah yeah like pretty much their own government kind of structure within the farm and they like it all goes good until it goes bad this book was so short i read it it feels like days ago years ago i know what you mean so i don't really remember what it's about oh, here we go okay well I'll, well i'm right here with you sis. thank you oh thank you okay but we're yeah. going to get started in it. Okay. So we'll take that deep dive into this book, Kari. Okay. Part one. Old Major has a dream. <laughs> so um, they're on the farm, right? The animals. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And the farmer, Mr. Jones, is drunk again. And he goes to bed. And Old Major, who's like this prize winning boar, is the most respected. And one of the wisest animals on the farm. And he's old. So he has a meeting with all the animals and they gather in the barn. And even the miserable lives we lead are not allowed to reach their natural span. For myself, I do not grumble, for I'm one of the lucky ones. I am 12 years old and have had over 400 children. Such is the natural life of a pig. But no animal escapes the cruel knife in the end. You young porkers who are sitting in front of me, every one of you will scream your lives out at the block within a year. 
To that horror, we all must come. Cows, pigs, hens, sheep, everyone. Even the horses and the dogs have no better fate. You, Boxer, the very day that those great muscles of yours lose their power, Jones will sell you to the knackers, who will cut your throat and boil you down for the foxhounds. As for the dogs, when they grow old and toothless, Jones ties a brick round their necks and drowns them in the nearest pond. Is it not clear, comrades, that all the evils of this life of ours spring from the tyranny of human beings. Only get rid of man and the produce of our labor would be our own. Almost overnight, we could become rich and free. What then must we do? Why, work night and day, body and soul for the overthrow of the human race. That is my message to you, comrades, rebellion. I do not know when that rebellion will come. It might be in a week or in a hundred years, but I know as surely as I see this straw beneath my feet that sooner or later justice will be done. Fix your eyes on that, comrades, throughout the short remainder of your lives. And above all, pass on this message of mine to those who come after you so that future generations shall carry on the struggle until it is victorious. <laughs> And you know what? By the end of his speech, I also was on the side of the animal. <laughs> well, he did have that rousing. Um, and he like made song. some valid points. <laughs> he was like, you know, man is the only animal on earth yes. that takes more than they give. Ooh, I felt bad as a human reading that part. <laughs> I was like, what do I, I was give? like, oh, instant vegetarianism. Here I come. Um, and in this barn, I'm not going to go over every character in this book, but there are a few that I think we need to remember. Yeah. And I'll go in order of my affection for them. Oh. Number one. Oh. The cat. So. <laughs> really? Yeah. The cat's like, cat? I said, uh, he's oh. not a huge character. Here he is he. not a huge character. But you know, you I would it. really think you wouldn't bring the cat out <laughs> no, at all. Got, the cat is awesome. First of all, while they're having this meeting, the cat's asleep because he didn't <laughs> found like a space between the horses to like nuzzle up he and did, get all warm. And like, no I'm one good. bothers him because he purrs. And so it's cute. Mm -hmm. ah, wow. It's great. And then there's um, you don't have to remember old major because he's going to die soon. So forget that name. But put your put in your stinking good for nothing brains boxer who is better than any man, woman or child I've ever met. Uh, yeah. Hard boxer. worker. There's no word lazy in that at all. And talk about giving generous, yep. devoted, loyal, yep. all the good adjectives. That's yep. boxer. Boxer's a horse. He's a little dumb. But you know what? He's all those other things, too, that we said. <laughs> and so that makes up for it. Also dumb. Then there's Clover. She's a horse. She's a mare. So you got two horses, right? Two boxers. Horses. Mm -hmm. Boxers are silent. Stylist. Ooh. Ooh. Freud, is that you? <laughs> boxers the stallion. And um, Clover's the mare. And she's like all motherly to everybody. Yes. For everyone, she's great. Then there's Benjamin. He's like an old crotchety oh. man. And he hates yeah. everyone and he hates the world, but he loves Boxer. But he won't say it. They are best. They hang out all the time and they just don't talk, which is like a true friend, right? You don't have to talk. When they you're have a out. bromance. They have a, a true bromance. Yeah. 
where when a boxer has flies on him, Benjamin uses his tail to swat the flies and they just sit and are content not saying anything. Mm -hmm. So that's Benjamin. He's a donkey. Then there's uh, Muriel. Is that how you say that name? Muriel? Yeah, sure. Muriel. Nope, you're right. Muriel. She's a goat. Later, she'll become literate. That's all you need to know about her. And then there's Molly. And that's me. Molly is like, no, no, that's not me. Because Molly is out here winning awards for her beauty. But she's shallow. And she likes sugar. She she like wanders in like, hey, y'all, just wait to me now. Okay. I'm going to sit down and play with my hair. And she like playing with her hair. And I got a closet full of horse hair. And I like playing with it, too. So I'm Molly. Ooh, Molly. So, um. Yeah, we already talked about the dream. Let's continue on mm-hmm. to the next part of the book, which comes quickly. Oh, it comes fast and so quick. quick. Just like life. Oh, the meeting ends with an anthem yeah. that Miss um, Old Major has created called Beasts of England. This is the anthem for the animals that encourages them that one day they will rule Earth and humanity will be gone and it will just be peace and animals. And it's to the tune of... Um, Shake a tail feather by Nelly. <laughs> oh, oh, all the people to the flow. No, no. All the animals going to grow. I didn't read it that way when and I you was know, trying to well, you sing know. it. Hey, hey. Rule the earth. <laughs> so, um, revolution part two. Mm-hmm. Second chapter, Mr. Jones is drunk again. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. But he's so drunk now that he unforgivably, in my opinion, neglects to feed the animals. This is true. For like a a couple days, right? Yep. Yep. And they're like, we can't take this. And so long story short, they beat them up and kick them out. They rose up. (laughs) And they're like, oh, that was quick. (laughs) They did not expect the revolution to come as quickly as it did. And it it came. came. And they had to like get them. Yeah. They did. They got them though. I mean, yeah. So Mm -hmm. As soon as the revolution happens, the pigs, led by Napoleon and Snowball, establish a government with seven commandments. Quickly, <laughs> here they are. All right, run them for us. Uno, whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. Two, whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. Three, no animal shall wear clothes. <laughs> four, no animal shall sleep in a bed. Five, no animal shall drink alcohol. Six, no animal shall kill any other animal. And seven, all animals are equal. These three had elaborated Old Major's teachings into a complete system of thought, to which they gave the name of animalism. Several nights a week, After Mr. Jones was asleep, they held secret meetings in the barn and expounded the principles of animalism to the others. At the beginning, they met with much stupidity and apathy. Some of the animals talked of the duty of loyalty to Mr. Jones, whom they referred to as master, or made elementary remarks such as, Mr. Jones feeds us. If he were gone, we should starve to death. Others ask such questions as, why should we care what happens after we are dead? Or, if this rebellion is to happen anyway, what difference does it make whether we work for it or not? And the pigs had great difficulty in making them see that this was contrary to the spirit of animalism. 
The stupidest questions of all were asked by Molly, the white mare. The very first question she asked Snowball was, will there still be sugar after the rebellion? No, says Snowball firmly. We have no means of making sugar on this farm. Besides, you do not need sugar. You will have all the oats and hay you want. And shall I still be allowed to wear ribbons in my mane? Asked Molly. Comrade, those ribbons that you are so devoted to are the badge of slavery. Can you not understand that liberty is worth more than ribbons? Molly agreed, but she did not sound very convinced. When they're having this meeting where the commandments are unveiled, the cows look a little restless and they realize the cows have to be milk and mm-hmm. the pigs do it um, successfully. And everyone's just looking at the milk and it's looking good. And they like, what did we used to do with this? We want milk. <laughs> and then someone goes, I think it used to be like poured into our mash and um, we would eat some of it. And then they sold the rest of it. Yeah. And then um, Napoleon, one of the, you know, Napoleon and Snowball are two major pigs that have put themselves up as leaders. Napoleon goes, hey, everyone. Hey, shut up. Harvest got to be done. Go harvest. OK, don't worry about the milk. We got and they're like, milk, you're right. You're it. right. We got a harvest. Mm-hmm. What's our farm now? We have to. And everyone just feels responsible. They're all chipping in. And when they come back from a long day of harvest, wouldn't you know it? The milk gone. It disappeared. But, they, you know, that's not what they're in it for. So no one really asks. Right. They're like, whatever. So <laughs> part three. The stanky leg. So um, four <laughs> legs titles, good, two them. legs bad becomes the mantra that the sheep. What do sheep do? Belt? Belt? No. It's a B bleat, word. Bleat. 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 That's all they can say. Four legs good, two legs bad all the time. You'd mm-hmm. be like, hey, sheep, uh, what time is it? Four legs good, two legs. And you're like, oh, uh, I didn't ask you all that. Right. So everyone's like, just. So anyway, the pigs are cementing their authority. They take the milk for brain food, quote unquote. The dogs have babies. Um, Napoleon takes the pups. No one asks questions because everyone is trusting each other. This is the utopian society that they worked for. They've Um, now given up that compliance. Yes. Right. Yes. The work is hard, but more efficient than when the farmer, the, the human farmer was head. Right. Because everyone's doing their part. Even the birds are coming down to pick up, to like um, glean. So they're gleaning. <laughs> yeah, that's the only word. <laughs> we read, you guys. You know, it's hard to remember words on it this show. Give words. us a break. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, so they come gleaning and adding it to the pile for the majority. And they all do their part and it's great. But it's hard work. Boxer, the loyal horse that we professed our love for, his mantra is, I will work harder. I must work harder. I love this because it takes personal responsibility. And I'm all about that. Mm -hmm. A flag is raised, (laughs) the hoof and the horn. Mm -hmm. So now the farm is becoming more. Animalism is more of an idea, more than an ideology. It's almost a religion. Yeah. 
Yeah, so they are singing their songs, their political songs, just like today, which is like a hymn. And, yeah, they're is. raising their flag, which is their emblem of worship. They have a meeting every Sunday. They have a meeting every Sunday to go over the ideologies of animalism and how they can all contribute as a whole for the betterment of the farm. Yeah. Um, also, the animals start to notice that Snowball and Napoleon, they ain't really getting along. Yeah. I've talked about Napoleon and Snowball, but I should also mention that there's another pig by the name of Squealer. Squealer spreads the gospel of animalism throughout the farm. So when the animals start doubting their leaders, Napoleon and Snowball, Squealer is the one that goes to each um, animal house or whatever. whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And tells them, oh, no, no. You thought that they were sleeping in the farmer's home because they're adopting human ways? I hope that I hope you, you're not dumb enough to think that because the truth is they need their rest because they're working hard for you. Right. And you don't want Mr. Jones to come back, do you? Oh, there was always the threat. You don't want Mr. Jones to come back. And the animals are like, well, no. So I guess we have to agree with this. And that's fine if it's for our benefit. Anyway, can all be we can all agree that things are better now than it was under Mr. Jones. Right. That's how every conversation every conversation um, squealer ends. <clears throat> he was an eloquent speaker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Part very four. persuasive. Battle of the shed. <laughs> so Mr. Jones is like going all around town drinking and crying, and people are like, "Ooh, what kind of man lets the animals <laughs> take his house?" <laughs> but some people they eventually like feel that. sorry for him, and they're like, "Come on." come on, we'll go get your farm, okay? Just mm-hmm. go get some, like, guns and stuff and we'll just go shoot all the animals and, like, get your farm back. No, not guns. Gun. So the Battle of the Cow Shed. Mr. Jones returns with his cronies and they come busting up in there and the animals are like, oh, not today. Especially Snowball, who has studied tactics by Julius Caesar and he's prepared for battle. Yes. And so Snowball is valiant. He runs ahead of everyone and his... He's the one who takes the brunt of Mr. Jones's gun. Mm -hmm. That pellet streams right down his back and blood pours down Snowball and he continues going. Mm -hmm. And Boxer, who's the loyal one, is just like punching the air and like kicking people. (laughs) And he like, I got to fight for the animal farm. (laughs) (laughs) But a loyalist, he actually hits one of the younger uh, humans and he thinks he killed him. Mm -hmm. And this tears boxer apart inside and he's like this boy who in my mind is like 15 is dead because of yeah. me mm-hmm. i don't want to kill i just don't want to be abused by humans actually during nice. this entire battle there is no mention of napoleon that is noteworthy right <laughs> very noteworthy <laughs> so at the end of the battle which the animals win um they reclaim animal farm for now and hand out medals to those who fought the most, who fought Valiantly. bravely. Yeah. So those medals are called Animal Hero First Class and Animal Hero Second Class. First Class medals go to Snowball and Boxer. Also, that 15-year-old who was just knocked out by Boxer, he ain't dead. So he runs away and gets away and it's right. fine. And Boxer's like, whoo. Part five. Um, mo, Molly, Mo, Molly, Mo. Molly! So Molly, who's the vain horse, is like missing during the battle. And people go looking for her. Where was she? 
As winter drew on, Molly became more and more troublesome. She was late for work every morning and excused herself by saying she had overslept. And she complained of mysterious pains, although her appetite was excellent. On every kind of pretext, she would run away from work and go to the drinking pool where she would stand foolishly gazing at her own reflection in the water. But there were also rumors of something more serious. One day, as Molly strode blithely into the yard, flirting her long tail and chewing at a stalk of hay, Clover took her aside. Molly, she said, I have something very serious to say to you. This morning I saw you looking over the hedge at Divide's animal farm from Foxwood. One of Mr. Pilkington's men was standing on the other side of the hedge. And I was a long way away, but I am almost certain I saw this. He was talking to you, and you were allowing him to stroke your nose. What does that mean, Molly? He didn't! I wasn't! It isn't true! cried Molly, beginning to prance about and paw the ground. Molly, do you give me your word of honor that that man was not stroking your nose? It isn't true! repeated Molly, but she could not look Clover in the face, and the next moment she took to her heels and galloped away into the field. A thought struck Clover without saying anything to the others. She went to Molly's stall and turned over the straw with her hoof. Hidden under the straw was a little pile of lump sugar and several bunches of ribbon of different colors. Three days later, Molly disappeared. For some weeks, nothing was known of her whereabouts. Then the pigeons reported that they had seen her on the other side of Willingdon. She was between the shafts of a smart dog cart painted red and black, which was standing outside of a public house. A fat, red-faced man in check breeches and gaiters, who looked like a publican, was stroking her nose and feeding her with sugar. Her coat was newly clipped and she wore a scarlet ribbon around her forelock. She appeared to be enjoying herself, so the pigeon said. None of the animals ever mentioned Molly again. She's very happy and at peace with this situation. Listen, Molly didn't never want no animal farm. <laughs> this was, was y'all's idea, and me and Molly gonna go to the beauty supply store, okay, with our booze. She been waiting and for this opportunity. And y'all fight for what y'all believe in, but leave us out of it, okay? We want to be where the sugar at, <laughs> the sugar and the ribbons. So anyway, um. Napoleon and Snowball also continue to argue in this part of the book, but in a more aggressive way. Yes. Um, Snowball presents the plans for a windmill. This is huge. This windmill becomes the purpose in all the animal's life. Yeah. Snowball presents it lives. Snowball presents it where once we build this windmill, we can work less mm -hmm. because yes, our harvest is more successful, but we're all working too much. We need to work smarter a not three harder. day work week would be coming three day work week we can all meditate more on the ideas of animalism spend time with our families mm -hmm. doesn't that sound good and yep. everyone's like i don't know does it <laughs> so also it should be noted no no one's too bright <laughs> okay they're all doing their best but collectively you know there's not not many lights on in that lamp they're easily persuaded yes that's Very a better easily. way to explain it um Napoleon stands up during this meeting and goes, hey, the snowball's a, the windmill's a bad idea and sits down. And Snowball's like, well, if that's all you got, I'm going to talk more about how the windmill's great. And by the time Snowball's done in his passionate, passionate, genuine speech, <clears throat> all the animals are like, OK, let's get this windmill going. Let's do the windmill. Napoleon stands up and lets out a yell that is strange. 
everyone like is at attention. Dogs run in. Yeah. Attack Snowball and chase him off of the property. It was a dog call. It was a dog call that Napoleon was giving. Mm-hmm. And those dogs are the baby pups now grown. The dogs that Napoleon took and no one asked questions about. Yeah. He's been raising them as his own little private security team. That was deep. And so now Napoleon is the sole uh, leader in power. And Boxer adds to his catchphrase, I will work harder. The phrase Napoleon is always right. Mm. Yeah. So good thing Molly got out when she did. She's smart. Because <laughs> she would not have made it. So That's Snowball is given a death sentence by Napoleon, who is now the sole leader of Animal Farm. <clears throat> Once the animals realize the pigs are sleeping in the farmer's home, they're like, but I thought we aren't supposed to sleep in beds. Muriel. Mm-hmm who's the goat that is very literate, more literate than the other animals aside from the pigs, um, lets them know that the commandment now reads, no animal shall sleep in a bed with sheets. (laughs) (laughs) And they go, "Was with sheets? Was that there? I guess it was, because it's there now. And they just accept it. They're very accepting, this, this animal population. So with Snowball out of the picture, Napoleon surprises everyone, even though he peed on the plants. He decides that a windmill is a good idea and he tricks or he convinces everyone that he was always on the side of the windmill and that it was Snowball who hated the idea because Snowball was a traitor in our midst. So slowly but surely they feed that line. Yeah. To the other animals that Snowball was a traitor who was never on the team. He was always in cahoots. With the humans. And Boxer goes, but I feel like he fought valiantly with us at the Battle of uh, Cowshed. Now, remember that only Boxer and Snowball won the medals. Yep. But he is later convinced, no, brother, you, comrade, you are remembering that wrong. Yeah. I hope you don't, I hope you don't think that's true because Snowball, we believe, has some secret agents who we still haven't figured out who they are. I mean... Yeah, it's implicated that maybe you're not as loyal as you seem, Boxer. And then Boxer straightens up and is like, well, if Napoleon said so, then it must be right. And Snowball must have been a traitor. The animals begin to build the windmill at Napoleon's direction. So they are still working on the farm and spending time building this windmill. They are giving all they have to these projects with all of their heart because they believe it contributes to the good of the majority. And that's their goal. Part seven. The coldest winter ever. So there is a harsh winter that comes. Things start going wrong on the farm and everything that goes wrong, Snowball is blamed for. He's not there. Napoleon needs a scapegoat. And so they just use Snowball. There is, amongst the pigs, a few that were loyal to Snowball. Napoleon hosts this meeting and it is one of the darkest parts of the book. Napoleon has his guard dogs tear to pieces anyone that he suspects was um, loyal to Snowball. Some of these animals even confess their loyalty, which I didn't understand, and their throats are ripped out. Yeah, so they were like, they felt like they had done something wrong, so they were trying to come forward and confess. And and everybody that did that 
Met their demise. Met their demise immediately. immediately. Expeditiously. <laughs> yeah, it was it was rough. I hate that scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the worst. And that kind of shocks all the animals because they, first Shocked of all. to submission No animals supposed to kill another animal. Yeah. Um, they later go back to the barn to see that commandment and remind themselves, doesn't it say that no animal will kill another? Now it says no animal will kill another animal without cause. So obviously someone is doctoring up these commandments. Ivy. Chapter nine. When it all falls down. So uh, Boxer gets injured and the um, pigs are telling the animals, don't worry, we'll send Boxer to the best doctor in the land. Fools! Fools! Shouted Benjamin, prancing around them and stamping the earth with his small hoofs. Fools! Do you not see what is written on the side of the van? That gave the animals pause and there was a hush. Muriel began to spell out the words, but Benjamin pushed her aside in the midst of a deadly silence. He read, Alfred Simmons, horse, slaughterer and glue boiler, Willingdon, dealer in hides and bone metal, kennel supplied. Do you not understand what that means? They are taking Boxer to the knackers. A cry of horror burst from all the animals. At this moment, the man on the box whipped up his horses and the van moved out of the yard at a smart trot. All the animals followed, crying out at the tops of their voices. Clover forced her way to the front. The van began to gather speed. Clover tried to stir her stout limbs to a gallop and achieved a canter. Boxer! She cried. Boxer! 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 And just at this moment, as though he had heard the uproar outside, Boxer's face with the white stripe down his nose appeared at the small window at the back of the van. Boxer, cried Clover in a terrible voice. Boxer, get out, get out quickly. They're taking you to your death. All the animals took up the cry of, get out, Boxer, get out. But the van was already gathering speed and drawing away from them. It was uncertain whether Boxer had understood what Clover had said, but a moment later, his face disappeared from the window and there was a sound of a tremendous drumming of hoofs inside the van. He was trying to kick his way out. The time had been when a few kicks from Boxer's hoofs would have smashed the van to matchwood, but alas, his strength had left him, and in a few moments the sound of drumming hoofs grew fainter and died away. In desperation, the animals began appealing to the two horses who drew the van to stop. Comrades, comrades, they shouted. Don't take your brother to his death. But the stupid brutes, too ignorant to realize what was happening, merely set back their ears and quickened their pace. Boxer's face did not reappear at the window. Too late, someone thought of racing ahead and shutting the five-barred gate. But in another moment, the van was through it and rapidly disappearing down the road. Boxer was never seen again. So, Boxer is sent to the glue factory. And the pigs try to convince everyone, especially Squealer, no, no, no. You thought it's a glue factory? The hospital had bought the van from a glue factory, you guys. <laughs> Boxer will be change. back. Boxer never comes back. I forgot to change the name. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Repaint over it. Okay. Many years have passed. This is the last part when it all falls down. Many years have passed. Folks is dead. The dead people. Muriel, who was the most literate. All the commandments, by the way, are basically changed now to allow the pigs to do whatever they want. Um, who else is dead? Uh, Mr. Jones is even dead. The human yep. that used to own the farm, the farmer, um, the windmill 
however, is built. It's successful. It's making money. But you know who don't see that money? The animals. You know who sees it? The pigs. They're involved in commerce with neighboring farms. So the, the pigs and the dogs are still living in luxury. Um, all the animals here, Clover let out this bleeding scream. They go to see what's wrong with her and they see that she's looking at the farmer's house where the pigs live. And they all walk out like a procession on two legs. The pigs have taught themselves to walk on two legs. The sheep adopt the maxim. Four legs good, two legs better. Wow. Only one commandment is left. They go to look at it. And it now says all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. Napoleon is smoking a pipe, walking on two legs, wearing clothes. This is deep. This book is deep. One night, a bunch of men show up to the property to party with the pigs. The pigs have a cocktail gentleman's party. The animals. Gentleman's party. Okay. (laughs) With the people. The animals look in the window cautiously to see what's going on. And they see that the pigs and the men are toasting to one another. They're sharing jokes, um, anecdotes. And eventually the animals can't tell who is a pig and who is a man. And the book ends. So I want to briefly talk about what this book is really about. On the surface, it's um, a concept that is easily digestible. Corruption and abuse of power. Mm -hmm. But George Orwell wrote this book to be a satire on the Soviet Union. And this is how. Okay. Do we know the difference between socialism and communism? No. Okay. I I know what communism is, but I don't know what socialism is. So socialism in our society is found in our school system or the idea of universal health care, where an individual contributes to something that helps the majority. All the individuals just do what they can. They don't have a quota. They do what they can, in our case, pay taxes based on their um, based on their individual limits. So the same thing is not asked of each individual. You're just asked to do the best you can. Okay. In the school system? Yeah, because the school system is a public school system. Okay. I I do mean specifically public school and not private school. Okay. Okay. Um, Communism, however, is gives more power to the government. So um, whereas in socialism, you can have private wealth and private property. Those two concepts are completely obliterated under communism and the government makes the decisions for the individual. So the government is supreme and it itself represents is supposed to represent the majority. Also, there's no private businesses, no religion. Um, So these are umbrella ideas and under them are all these like little ideas and little isms. But those are like the two big players that are talked about in this book. Um, The Russian Revolution was from. 1917 to 1923 and you know the bolshevik revolution that's what ended it um the leader of the bolsheviks was lenin and lenin to me is like old major he lays down these ideas lenin was a huge like marxist but he formed leninism which was he like took marx Karl marx's ideas and decided that a dictator was necessary because the dictatorship um 
formed the dictatorship formed by the working class specifically would eventually lead to a socialist society. Um, okay. Where all were equal and all workers own their own factories um, unitedly. So the power still rests with the people. So Stalin believed that the state must act as administrator for the majority, which is more of a communist idea. Right. He was less focused on global socialism or in the book, this idea that every farm in every farm animalism should be practiced and all animals should be free in this way. Instead, Stalin focused on socialism within one country. Stop worrying about the world and worry about us. We need to um, enforce these ideas. And he used state violence to purge the upper class or the bourgeoisie and um, purge any personal enemies that he had from society. Like Napoleon used the dogs to even right. attack other pigs. Mm -hmm. Trotsky originally joined the Bolsheviks um, and he also led the Communist Party, but he believed in global socialism. So he's snowball. Yes. So, oh, you knew this. Yes. Oh, cool. You be reading. So Trotsky <laughs> is snowball. <laughs> Stalin is Napoleon. Trotsky um, was anti-bureaucracy. He um, struggled against Stalin and they butted heads often. And his policies would openly disagree with Stalin's policies. Okay. He was removed as commissioner of military and naval affairs. And he was later assassinated in Mexico City, actually, with an ice axe. Yikes! Stalin ordered that hit on Trotsky. So that is mirrored in the dogs chasing Snowball away and probably killing him. So then Stalin acted as the sole leader of the Soviet Union, the animal farm. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's Animal Farm. So, Kari, that was a good summary. Oh, very in-depth. And I like the add-on in the end time where the allegory comes in. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that was very important. Thank you. So what are your final thoughts on the book? And would you recommend it? First, Yes, I would recommend Animal Farm because one, it's short. Just read it. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so I feel like I would recommend it. What about you? Would you recommend this book? I definitely would. Woo! And this is one I could truly <laughs> say was an easy read. Yeah. Um, also, it was um, a quick read. Yeah. It was really quick and I couldn't put it down. I didn't want to put it down. Mm -hmm the story of the animals kept me drawn in and trying to connect that yes. with a political situation was very intriguing to me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go more into that. So I'm glad you brought that portion out of it because I was, I didn't have time to. Okay. So I loved I it. It mm -hmm. was, it was very good. And I would definitely recommend it to others to read. And it made me realize how little I personally was taught about the revolutions in other countries, but how those political movements affected affect me today because it affected where I live. Right. So, um, and not every school system is going to be like mine. I, I do feel like I, I came from, I was educated in a good system, but that system romanticized all the ideas around American revolutions and right. American movements. But there's, there's a big world and there were other things going on that affected the decisions that were made here. So I appreciated this reminder of that. Yeah, that's that's deep. Um, when I think about um, the Russian Revolution, I yeah. think where I learned about it, it wasn't in elementary nope. school or high school. Very great book. Mm -hmm. I want to thank everyone for listening to Lit Society. Thank you. We'll be back with you next week. Lit Society is brought to you by 
Alexis Anaria, and Kari Herrera. That's me. Listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast providers. If you like what you heard today, tell a friend about List Society. Please visit ListSocietyPod.com <laughs> to sign up for the world's best free newsletter. Yeah, it's really great. And until next time, read something. Read something. Woo!